Hello and welcome to the Codex Prime Podcast. We are on episode 275 and it is Tuesday, March 8th, 2022. I am your host, Victor Omoyo. And with me, as always, is my co-host and social media chair, Carl Bird. What's happening, everybody? That's right. And joining us live in the Codex Prime Zoom studios, once again, uh, we have your boy, Ed, Ed Figueroa. Of Game what's Ed up, Ed? everybody? Your boy, Ed, is in the house representing the Party Nerds and Gamerdelphia. Uh, what's happening, everybody? That's right. Welcome back, sir. And uh, to, uh, this week, we're going to be talking about uh, The Batman, which is the... Is the newest uh, edition in the DC uh, film catalog. Um, though very, it's been anticipated for the past couple of years. We have a lot of thoughts about it, so we'll get into our non-spoiler thoughts initially, and then we'll delve into our spoiler-filled discussion. So uh, be on the be on the lookout for that. Um, we also have some thoughts about uh, AEW Revolution uh, this past Sunday. Uh, by the way, congratulations on your match against Chris Jarko. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, I had to grow a lot of facial hair. That's how much that match took out of me and, uh, you know, what Chris Jarko did to me. But, uh, you know, he owes me a handshake tomorrow night. <laughs> he does. That he does. Um, but your eye healed up good. You know, your eye healed up pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, and then we'll, you know, talk about some other stuff we've been up to as well. You know how we do every single week. And uh, before we get into the proceedings proper, well, let's give a shout-out to our sponsor, Silk City Hot Sauce. That's right, Silk City Hot Sauce. Um, all sorts of different flavors. They're a Vermont-based uh, company. Um, you, can order, you can order all sorts of flavors, such as Erotic Fever, Badass Jew, their... Um, their which we'll call it their cherry sriracha uh, flavored hot sauce, which is really good. Um, they also have a maple maple syrup flavored hot sauce, which goes well with any breakfast foods and items. And they also there's also a new flavor that I saw you posted, Carl. Yes, uh, Ram Skull, which is uh, inspired by uh, cosplayer Sean Manchester from Bulletproof Studios uh, LLC. Um, okay. Okay. they're gonna be at Retro Expo, so I'm gonna buy some. Okay. Okay. Very good, very good. So yeah, definitely uh, use the promo code CODEX, C-O-D-E-X, and you can get 15% off of your order. That's SilkCityHotSauce.com. Yes. So yeah, uh, gentlemen, um, well, we'll, be, we'll, we'll, we'll begin with you, Ed, since you're the guest of honor. Sure. Um, what's been going on in your world as of late? Uh, let's see, what has been going on the last couple of weeks? I've been mostly, you know, I still have... Uh, focus here on the social media aspect of Gamer Delphia. Um, some of the newer things that I've been accomplishing with the show itself include uh, streaming chats, which is just me just kind of, you know, talking about some of the news that's been happening in the world of gaming, along with playing whatever the newest game is at the time. I did a series um, in the beginning of February for Horizon Zero Dawn, which I finally beat uh, for my four in February. Uh, that was uh, a amazing experience to say the least playing horizon zero dawn and embracing that story that advertised itself as one thing but then when you actually played the game it becomes a whole completely different thing that you don't expect uh mm. to come out of nowhere and that's what kind of made me embrace the story like i think it's been a while since i've had a really true storytelling experience in my video games and how i sat on horizon zero dawn for so long i you know i'm like hitting myself wondering what took me so long to play it yeah, yeah, 
I hear that. And I know for me, like, the way you feel about Horizon Zero Dawn, I, that, it took me a long time to play Breath of the Wild, which mm-hmm. came out in the same mm-hmm. year. So it's like I had that, so I had that Zelda-like experience playing Horizon Zero Dawn back in 2017. Now, fast no. forward, uh, you know, uh, you know, four years later, because I, I played it last year, I, yeah. had that, I had the actual Zelda experience. So, it was, it was the, so the, reverse, the reverse is true for you. Yes, very much so. Like, it's definitely the reverse for me because, you know, I never really got into Breath of the Wild too much. I mean, I'm planning on revisiting it just to make sure I'm not, like, maybe I need, like, a fresh set of eyes, especially all these years later with all the improvements. Um, and at the time, I didn't have a pro controller at the time. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, when I first started playing, because then I think Mario Odyssey came out later in the year and then Smash Ultimate the following year. So most of my attention was put towards that. But fun fact, did you know that this week uh, in gaming, I actually uh, had like a history post uh, that I was looking at. This week in gaming, these games came out, and I think it probably shaped 2017 to be one of the best recent years in gaming. You had Horizon Zero Dawn come out February. Right. You had the Switch and Breath of the Wild come out March 3rd. You had uh, Mass Effect and Street Fighter Cross Tekken come out uh, uh, 10 years ago, Mm -hmm. I believe. Yep, and then uh, yesterday was the anniversary of Nier Automata, which is, I know is one of my uh, co-hosts, Seth's favorite games. <laughs> yeah, that was a great game, too. So oh, all that happened this week. And, yeah. I, like, it's amazing to think what 2017 was in gaming in general, because the Switch launch, one of the last games to come out for the PlayStation with uh, Breath of the Wild came out, or not Breath of the Wild, Horizon Zero Dawn, and then you had Nier Automata come out, so, like, that's three game of the year heavy hitters right there. Right. Um, so like that's what made and then Mario Odyssey for me was like one of my top games of twenty seventeen. Oh, actually it would have been my top game of the year if it wasn't for Sonic Mania coming out. So there's that. <laughs> okay, you guys did sell me in Sonic Mania. I remember that. <laughs> like literally a week later. I'm just like, all right, I, I just gotta do it. I gotta play. I gotta get this game. And then y'all sold me with the price especially. And then oh, yeah, dude, I, I still bucks. got a debate. I still got a debate. You know, twenty eighteen was a better year. Really? What, wait, 2018. I know that was Red Dead. Red Dead, Spider-Man. Spider-Man. God of War. God of War, okay. Those fair, three fair. titles alone. I mean, that's not... That's not incorrect at all. Like, 2018 was a good year. There were some good games on 2018, but 2017, just on the Switch alone, like, I think that kind of... over To an extent, I, depending on who you ask, it may have oversold some of the games that came out that year, just... But when you think about it, a lot of those gaming experiences were like fresh and new in our eyes to have like a like an open world Mario game like a Mario 64 that we haven't seen in a long time. Right. To have a fully open world uh, Zelda game. That's never happened to I believe Splatoon came out uh, in the summer of 2017, too. So you had an action shooter for people to get behind as well. So you already had three first party heavy hitters right there. Got a case. Okay, this is also not incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Right. Indeed. So, yeah, man. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. Anything else uh, going on in your world? or? Well, thankfully, um, thankfully, I can put aside a lot of the, you know, going off at the beginning of the year, put aside some of the stuff that happened with the Eagles, with their playoff loss from a while back. And now I've been focusing a lot more on the potential championship-winning Philadelphia 76ers. 
So that's been my main, one of my biggest like fandom focuses right now is watching the Sixers with Joel Embiid, with them just trading for James Harden. They just picked they up did. DeAndre Jordan, who was released by the Lakers. So he's now on the squad as a backup for Joel. So, and Thursday, um, the Sixers play the Brooklyn Nets. And uh, even though he's not playing, hopefully Ben Simmons is on the bench because I am, I want to see what happens if, you know, you have Ben Simmons on the opposite bench, what what Philly's going to do. That's going to be interesting. I, ooh, I, do, we do, I do have something. You know what? I'll, I actually probably will check that out. I'll, I'll check that. I haven't really watched a basketball game like all year. So. Oh, man. Yeah, I've been behind on others' teams. Because I didn't know how good Chicago and Miami were. Right. I didn't. I didn't know that you know Phoenix is still at the top. I didn't know that the Lakers free fall stuff like that. I missed yeah. because I've been so focused on the Sixers. <laughs> yeah, I've been hearing, yeah, I've been hearing like the Lakers ain't doing. Just ain't doing. No, they're just they're not there no. at all. <laughs> like at all. Sorry, Bron. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's all I can say. Um, One thing I do want to give a huge shout-out to, I want to give a huge shout-out to my boy uh, Roberto Gonzalez. He just had me on his his, um, podcast, Steambox Versus, which he does at various different schools in Rhode Island. And I was at the uh, Highland Charter uh, Charter School in Warren, which is the old uh, Fatima School. And it it was a very fun experience. The episode came out like maybe an hour later. So I was really like happy about that. It was a great, it was just a great experience. The kids are just awesome. They were very well behaved. Some were, you know, and it was just, a, it was, just a, it was just fun. So I mean, and I, I quickly subscribed. I'm listening to one of their recent. I've been listening to their recent episodes. So yeah, big shout outs to Roberto. He does a lot of good things. So I urge any and everybody, like I highly recommend any, any and everybody. To uh, subscribe to Steambox Versus. Okay. Steambox Versus. Okay. Nice. So, yeah. What about you? Yeah, man. Um, let's see. For me, been uh, I've been uh, you know, still still playing some games, uh, watching some movies. Um, I I moved on to Yakuza Six. I quit Yakuza Five. Did you? <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> I quit Yakuza Five because I've I've played all I've played and finished all the previous ones, but Yakuza Five, um, the the game suffers. It's just way too long. There's way too much bloat. Um, it's poorly paced as well, and the, the cutscenes are just yeah, you know, just just go on and on and on. And by the time I reached the fourth part of the game, which you play as the yeah. fourth character, I was like I was like you know what I'm just gonna go on Wikipedia and just read the synopsis. <laughs> <laughs> And and as it turns out, I didn't really miss much. So so I so I just said, you know what? I'm just gonna go straight into Yakuza Six so I can finally finish the Kazuma Kiru saga. Um, so far, I, I really like Yakuza Six much more than I did Yakuza Five. Um, that Dragon Engine is is, is pretty cool. Um, so so far, I've, I've played through the first two chapters. There's there's thir- thirteen chapters in the in the final uh, Kiro game. Yeah. So I'm definitely gonna finish Yakuza Six uh, in the next few weeks or so, and then hopefully I can I'll, I'll move on to some other games as well. Um, I do want to play Judgment um, and um, and maybe Yakuza Like a Dragon. I'm, I'm kind of curious about that as well. So so yeah um, so yeah I mean, that's 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 me on the gaming front as it were. 
um, as far as movies go. Um, I've watched a, watched a couple couple of cool ones. Um, there's a new one uh, that's on HBO Max. Uh, it's directed by Steven Soderbergh. Uh, it's called Kimi. It stars Zoe Kravitz. Um, it's an, an interesting film. It's, a, it's an interesting a film that's, that's fully acknowledges COVID-19. Um, Zoe Kravitz, she plays uh, this... Um, it's sort of like this uh, tech, um, this tech worker named Angela, who's basically holed up in her own in her apartment. She's she's agoraphobic, so mm. she's she like she just flat out refuses to go outside. Um, and it's pretty de- it's pretty debilitating. So like there's a there's a scene where like she's she sees this handsome dude like across in in the apartment across from her, and they're texting they they live across the street and they text they're texting each other like oh let's meet outside for breakfast and then you see here take time to like. You know, put on the sanitizer, put on the mask, and then when it's time to, when it's time to like go outside and unlock her door, she has a full blown panic attack. Oh Damn. man! And she she she's just not she's just not about that life. And yeah. so and so she's a she works she's a tech worker for this uh this this company that has this like this Siri like device or this Alexa like device called Kimmy, and um and and basically the 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 unique thing about that is that um she's one of like thousands of workers that actually listens through the recordings just to like just to kind of like pick up on certain keywords and buzzwords to make the to make Kimi more more knowledgeable and more you know flow, flow better with their with their user base um, yeah as she's listening to one of the recordings one day she comes across what she believes is a is either a sexual assault or murder but wow. she doesn't but she doesn't know what's going on so she's trying to uncover that mystery and when she when she tries to do that, when she tries to reach out to the company, she's putting her own life at risk. And then pretty soon she has to end up having to go outside, and she's gonna have to deal with that. And it's a really interesting, interesting thriller, um, and which fully acknowledges the whole COVID nineteen pandemic. Um, uh, it was uh, it's one of those Steven Soderbergh's uh, unique uh, unique films. Like if you've seen any of his other films that he shot on like an iPhone, like for example, Unsane, which came out back in twenty eighteen, kind of has yeah, a similar, yeah. that similar vibe. Um, yeah, definitely check it out. It's uh, it's on HBO Max. Um, uh, Steven Soderbergh. He also had another film called No Sudden Move, which with with Don Cheadle and Benicio del Toro, which is also good as well. Um, so yeah, I watched that. That was that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. Besides that, um, well, it's, yeah, that's yeah, that's 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 pretty much pretty much what I've been what I've been up to for the most part. You know, just uh. Just gaming and uh, you know catching up on some movies here and there, yeah. uh, some older ones as well. Yeah, I can finally pick. I can finally uh, continue on with uh, Guardians again. Not at four in February is done. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm I might actually pick up Guardians now that it's going to be a, a Xbox Game Pass game. It's so, not a bad game. It's not a bad game at all. No, it's very underrated. Like I think I talked about it uh, when we last did our end of year show for Game Redelphia. We talked about how Guardians was like that sleeper hit that I think got a lot of bad press because of the Avengers. Yeah. But this game actually, you know, made a lot more effort than that game did. So it was actually more like a, you know, solid, simple experience that I think a lot of people slept on still either through stigma or through some other games that came out like at the tail end of uh, 2021. Right. Right. Cause I did buy like a, I bought like a ton of games just to like for black Friday and I still, there's yeah. still like, Three to have in touch. I still haven't tr- touched Far Cry Six because it was like thirty bucks when I bought it. Um, yeah. Resident Evil Eight. I still don't know if I'm gonna do it because <laughs> I rage quit <laughs> seven. 
Um, you might have to go back to seven. Now, if you go through all these Resident Evil games, you you should go back to seven at some point. Oh yeah. I'll think about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll think about. It. I just realized too. It's like the only time I can really play these games is if I have Affinity Bullets and a rocket launcher, and I'll be completely happy. <laughs> Taking it back to old school PlayStation with cheat codes. They don't make those no more. <laughs> I know they don't. Trust me, I know. <laughs> I am very, very aware. Oh, man. I had to school somebody on GamePro magazines and stuff, like GamePro and Nintendo Power. Like, Nintendo Power used to, like, have the maps. That's why I feel like I'm the only person in the world who was able to beat Lion King with ease. Mm-hmm. Because of those maps that Nintendo Power had, and it was basically the same game, so I was just able to get... I, was, I could still, like, get through it pretty quick, but... Yeah, I had to school them. Lucky you being able to beat Lion King on Super Nintendo. It's so easy, though. (laughs) I think what gets people are is like that second level with the um, the ostrich um, section. I think that's what gets the most people. See, I can figure out the puzzles with the monkey swinging and everything else. I can get through that relatively good because through trial and error, I'm like, okay, I can get through that. But no, that ostrich, it's embedded in my brain. That the ostrich section, especially the part where you have to do the double jump, yeah, because you don't you don't think about double jumps at all when you think about that specific level. So that's why it gets you every single time. The double jumps are usually because what's crazy is I haven't beaten the game in like probably twenty years until I like got it for the got the remake the re release for PlayStation. And yeah. what's crazy, twenty years and I still have the muscle memory. Yeah, that, that's so what happens to me a lot like, too. You jump, duck, jump, then the double jump. It's literally the same. It's same. It's the same pattern. It is the same pattern. Thank yeah. But I think it's just something in my head just doesn't click it at first. It's always like I'm always regressing to this moment where I just always fail at that section. Yeah, that's what it, it's usually. It's usually that pattern. I'm literally just like playing it, just like and picturing it, like thinking I'm like, all right, that's the pattern. Stick, with, go with that. Yeah. I'm gonna have to go back and get it, buy it, and try it again. It's like twenty bucks, maybe. It is, yeah. I'm saving up all my money now for uh, Wonderlands when that drops at the end of March. That's probably gonna be my next game pickup. That's finally coming out. Tiny Tina's. Yeah, the Tiny Tina's Wonderlands comes out the end of March. Dude, that thing's been on like E3s and Game Awards for like the past three years already. (laughs) I mean, well, Borderlands Three came out in 2019. I remember because that was my. That was my game of the year of 2019. It just beat Crash Team Racing. So, um, and like a lot of DLC came out. And then they, I think, yeah, this past E3, they announced the Wonderlands. I was just like, all right, I'll do that. You know, it's more Borderlands. I always will play Borderlands. Right. But it's different because it has that mystical spell casting aspect. You can kind of customize your hero to have certain attributes. So it looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. And, more Borderlands is always for me. I, I can sit and play Borderlands for like three hours straight and not get bored with it. Yeah, like just doing missions, killing it, I don't care. Like uh, I can do that with Borderlands really, really easily. I'm the same way with the Spider-Man and Ghost, the Spider-Man games and Ghost of Tsushima. And I tell people, I'm like, I will do it again. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I wonder how long it's going to take for Spider-Man 2 to come out. I don't care. I'll be, there. I'll, I'll be there. I'll be there at lunch. <laughs> You'll be there day one. Yep. Yeah. I'm hyped for that. Yeah. 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 It's 
Speaking of, speaking of being hyped for stuff, uh, how about AEW Revolution this past Sunday? It's a good show. Did you what watch? What a show. It, I know a lot of people have had their rankings about the shows over the last year or so that AEW has been putting out. I'm not going to say that this beats All Out, last year's All Out, right. but it's like right there mm-hmm. with All Out. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree. Like All Out had like way too many, way too many hits. Um, like I said, overall great show. Um, couple, you know, a couple of palate cleansing matches like Jade versus uh, Ty. You kind of knew what was going to happen. I was very surprised that Britt retained. Um, oh my god! I don't even. Want... I, I, I know you guys always. So I know with UWO you always have a burial of the week. Yeah. My burial. If I had to be able to do one, it's burrying the entire women's division by still having Britt Baker as champion. Mm. I, I don't think she needs it anymore. No, she don't. I agree. No, like yeah. if you're going to have this Britt Rosa feud, she should have the belt by now. Mm. I think it's pointless to have the match that's coming up on Dynamite. To then possibly have her win on the one year anniversary of the uh, the lights out match, I think that's pointless. Mm. It's just it's more fluff that already is gonna like cool her off and kind of it's it cools off Thunder Rosa completely. Right. Like it cool like it's basically cooled off because it seems like Britt is having the same match at, at same same after same after same match like she had with Ruby Soho like she had with. Uh, Chris Statlander, like she had with Ty Conti at Full Gear. And now this match. It's the same thing over and over again. And it's just gotten stale. And that's the that's been the big problem. Like early in her reign when she first won the belt, okay, fine, you know, she can get by on uh character alone. Right. But it, it's time to finally like you have the hottest person in the world in terms of popularity in Thunder Rosa. She should be champion right now. Yeah. In a new belt on top of that. You right. would think they she's coming out with a new too. belt that they will be like, okay, we're getting a full-blown change. Nope. Swerve. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. A different type. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was yeah, I was very disappointed with the with uh Britt Baker still winning. Because she doesn't really need the belt at this point, because she's held it since May of last year. Has it been exactly? Long? Yeah. Yeah, she wanted a she wanted a double or nothing. Yep. Yeah, she beat Hikaru Shida. Right. Yeah. Yeah, she beat Shida for the belt. Yeah. And but but the but I will say on a positive, the the new women's title does look much but much better. It looks like an actual prestigious title than that. It does. Yeah. It does remind me of like a, a nice prestigious belt. Like for yeah. so long they had that like tiny old like full oval shape. And I was just yeah. like, all right, yeah, that's cool. And I saw the new belt. I was like, okay, that looks a lot better because it looks like it actually has some like weight to it. Yeah. It's more rounded out. Etc. Like it does look really nice. Yeah. I saw the renders too. Yeah, we did see it. We did see that old one. Yeah. Up close in person. <laughs> yeah. 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 And then um yeah and then we had some other good matches like Moxley Danielson that was that was great uh, with William Regal Beagle. coming out. The, Ooh, the, William that I literally was so surprised to see. I was just like okay they're fighting again and all of a sudden like jump cut to the entrance ramp and I see Regal coming out. I was like. Where is what? What? Huh? William Regal? What happened? I was like, okay, that that caught me off guard. And then he's just already being a bat. Like from minute one, he's already like slapping Moxley, slapping Danielson, like putting Moxley's blood on his own forehead. Like I don't care. 
Like okay, okay, that's that's the really Enrico we're gonna get here. I'm what I love to, what I love to, he was like, look, he looked at both of them. I taught you better than that. Mm-hmm. And just right <laughs> then and there, he's like, yo, like he did. Mm-hmm. He did. That's what like yeah. that's what got me. I got I really got synced to the story, so I can see like a bit. Um, I can see. Um, oh, they're gonna go for the tag titles. Oh, I, th- oh, I think that would be a great like setup for them going for the tag team titles. But to me, and I'm, we'll probably get to the tag match later on. I'm wondering, like, I feel like there's a lot of teams that could have challenged for the belts before, like, you know, you, before you decide to go into the direction of Moxley and Danielson. Right. Like, uh, the first team that comes to my mind in terms of teams that I feel like should have at least gotten a chance at a run with the belts, Santana and Ortiz. Absolutely. Like, I think that. That's the biggest drop ball for in terms of the tag team division is Santana and Ortiz. Yeah, yeah, they've because they've been they've been at AEW since day one and yeah, yeah, and like it's, 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 I'm it's, I'm actually quite surprised that they haven't been champions by now, you know. Um, and there's really no reason for it. I mean, the whole inner circle stuff has run its course, and right. and, I, and I do acknowledge, albeit like in storyline and kayfabe, that you know Jericho has been pretty much been holding them back. Yeah, um, and there may be some truth in that too. So, so with Santana and Ortiz, it's like, where do they go from here? Like, there's only nowhere to go but up. And if you don't put the titles on them this year, then when? By the time you do it, then it's just gonna be like, oh, okay, they've already been cooled off. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So you gotta like that's that's the issue. Like if they if you cooled them off, um, yeah, if you cool them off and go towards like this, you know, makeshift team of Danielson and Moxley. Like, just thinking about other, the other tag teams that, you know, you already had, like, Gun Club, you've already had Private Party, the Acclaim, you know, go up the rankings and challenge Jurassic Express. So, yeah, where do you go from there with the tag team scene? It's tough because, you know, you've already done the Young Bucks, you've already done FTR, um, and then the first two champions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, event, I, I know eventually, within the next year... I can see I can see this. There's a possibility, and I think this would be a fun matchup. You can do if you want to do Danielson Moxley, fine, I guess. But at some point, mm-hmm. I think the match that could be really good are those two versus Red Dragon. Mm-hmm. Like I think that like having that like a workers type tag team match right. would be absolutely perfect. Right. Speaking of Red Dragons, I'm actually glad that they did that Jurassic Express actually attained because Red Dragons or the Bucks, neither one of those teams needed because that's not where the story's at. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Colt. Like the the story is in those cracks in the those cracks in the walls between Red Dragons, Cole and the Young Bucks, but you know, Cole in between them. Until right. Roddy ends up uh showing up. Yeah. <laughs> Depends on his contract situation. Oh, it's happening. In NXT 2.0. Like, I don't know where... Like, I think he's... I know he's been doing his stuff with the Diamond Mine on NXT. And it's like, okay, you know, it's something interesting. It got him a Cruiserweight title match. It's gotten them some good feuds with Kushida and Carmelo Hayes. But it seems like... I think NXT has run... He's run his course in NXT. Yeah. So he needs to kind of... Go somewhere. Uh, Go somewhere else, and I don't know what again. I don't know what his contract situation is with it with NXT. So, if he has the chance to break away and go to AEW, and then just have like, then you can truly do the elite 
which would probably be like Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks, and if you want to, Hangman. Like I could see them doing Kenny, Young Bucks, and Hangman versus the Undisputed Era. Paragon. That's what's been trademarked. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they trademarked the Paragon? Yeah. Uh, it almost feels too much like the Pinnacle. but it, it, That's what I feel, too. I think they should have stuck with the Prophecy. How they use oh, yeah. it in NXT, they, it's already familiar. It's already familiar. It already ties with them because they did fulfill the prophecy when every single member of the Undisputed Era had gold. Had gold. So it's just kind of, I don't know, I just thought it was a better... That's what I would have chosen. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think that would have been good. But again, we don't know the name yet until it actually gets to that storyline. Right. So we, we probably won't know until... I would probably say they'll wait till like double or nothing yeah. to do that. But who knows? And then, of course, uh, what I thought was the match of the night, and my match of the night, the CM Punk-MJF dog collar match. <laughs> the chills that I had when CM Punk came out to his uh, Ring of Honor name, or his Ring of Honor uh, entrance, yeah. like the, the full regalia, the full music with AFI, mm-hmm. like I felt like I was at the um, rec, I was, I was at a rec center in... Uh, Edison, New Jersey. I used to go there for Ring of I when I was in college. I used to go there for Ring of Honor shows. Um, unfortunately, I was past my time when I started going to those shows. Punk had already left the company oh. to go because that's when he went. He was on ECW right. that summer, so I had missed completely. But I used to watch Ring of Honor's uh, videos on YouTube, and they had a video with like they had like the roster video, like a roster roll call. So you would see Punk come out to that AFI theme. And it was just, like, insane when he would get, like, reactions coming out for his matches, and especially when he was Ring of Honor World Champion. Right. It was big. So to see that play out in AEW, especially with the announcement that um, Tony Khan bought AEW, so now he has ownership of that company, which he's going to use as a separate system, probably more like a developmental system, so some of the younger talent from AEW who aren't being used can use Ring of Honor as that system to, like, learn, work, grow. Right. And also bring some of that talent over. So just to have it come full circle, I was like, oh man, I feel like I'm at a Ring of Honor show again. Because yeah. that, like, because that was my, those were my formulaic years of watching indie wrestling. Because at that time, I only knew what WWE was, and I half knew what TNA was through like, like through the Spike TV show, through Impact, through some of the work that I did on their promotional teams. Right. Um, and stuff like that. Um, so being able to work, you know, funny story, uh, being able to work with Alex Abrahantes, who's man, who manages the Lucha Bros, being able to work with him on those early days of TNA was a lot of fun. And uh, about that time, like a year later, that's when I, re- you know, discovered Ring of Honor and then I discovered indie wrestling. Yeah, my thing is with not, like now, with... Tony having so much on his plate between AEW, now acquiring Ring of Honor, now and he still does his work with the Jags and Fulham, and then the con like he's signing a lot of people. Now I get it. He, he is. He has billion. He has a billion dollar checkbook. Yeah, you know, he has a checkbook if he wanted to. I get it's like to me it just seems like he's just collecting rex he's collecting wrestling figures and do does do they have all that time 
all that TV time to showcase all that talent. Now I get it. You have di- you have dynamite, you got rampage, but then you also have dark and dark elevation, you, right? And that's only for at least just get to you know those two shows. Those latter two shows are just to like showcase some indie talent, get them you know get them some exposure and whatnot. But then it's just like, all right, are you signing too much? To the point where eventually, and I know Bully has said this on Busted Open, he said, hey, listen to the show and you understand he's more informal than Solomon's to us. Fuck, you know what? Not not to cut you off. Fuck Bully Ray. Fuck his show. (laughs) That's true. Fuck his show. Bully Ray is a clown. How many times times have I heard? I've listened to to a, a fair amount of his show. Okay. And really, oh my... The, the the way Carl the way the way you quote this man as if he's some sort of wrestling genius number one Bully Ray he's a he Bully, has a great mind he has a great mind does he because yes. quite frankly he's like he, he's he's all about oh what about the heat bro let's let's what about the heat <laughs> yeah. the, the the heat yeah yeah but he's yeah he, the heat and, it, and all the stuff he said about Moxley if he, like a a couple of months back when Moxley was making his comeback yeah. and also the stuff he did with Ring of Honor as well like a lot of a lot of the things with Ring of Honor, like if you actually kind of look at the trajectory of certain things that happened in Ring of Honor, right? Bully Ray was part of that. I don't think he, I don't know if he was head booker or if he was part of the team, like he the was booking creative, team. I'm yeah. not sure exactly. I know he did some creative. Right. right. Yeah. I don't know exactly. I forget exactly what his role was. But yeah, there's a lot of decline with certain things that happened with Ring of Honor on his watch. Now, not to say that, you know, a lot of that stuff. It started picking up a little bit more over the last few years with before the pandemic shut everything down. So who knows what things could have been like in recent years had, you know, there was no pandemic and they were still able to run their shows and do everything with like Jonathan Gresham, Jay Lethal and all the other talent that they had. Correct. So who knows? But you're also forgetting one thing, too. Even though he was uh, he was part of the creative, he wasn't like so creative. But you also forget the big thing. Sinclair had a lot to do with it. It was just Ring of Honor was literally just a tiny spoke under Sinclair's wheel that Sinclair didn't even really like truly invest in. That's true. As well, yeah. and Bully really, if you really do listen to it, you really first of all he has like thirty years experience, so you can't really like deny what he says. You can't really discredit what he says. The dude know does know what he's talking about. Also, too, if you want to compare it to what Salamas is a little boring. What is he? What what is Jason Solomon? Just us with a bigger platform. Yeah, but Solomon has been doing his thing for fifteen years. Okay, and Bully Ray's been doing his for thirty, and all that. And he does, and you, the way he does explain things. This is why I love Busted Open so much. It's it's like you're in a classroom and you're getting, you're getting, you're you're in school, but you're getting like three different perspectives. At least that's how I interpret it. Bully can be very bully gets you into like gets your creative mind creative juices going and also like the like the hardships of the business okay same thing with tommy tommy is more like the bit he goes into more depth into the business yeah because you know he runs uh house of hardcore and stuff right yeah you got mark who kind of is like the way he explains it is like you're sitting on the lap with your cool uncle 
that's like that's, that's what that's just how he comes off to me. So it's like when I do say when I do say, you know, saying the praises of Bully Ray, though he does know what he's talking about, and he has came up with some creative, like with some creative scenarios, literally on the fly, and actually told me he actually helped me understand it better even bruce pritchard too with even though he explains they may they don't really like um talk current stuff all the time he talks about okay why okay why we did this thing how we did it and stuff so then with them teach with that we listening to those podcasts and shows it's like all right remember there's been a couple of times where i just kind of magically booked different scenarios and stuff it's from those teachings yeah, teachings. <laughs> that's how I. That's how I interpret it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I get it. And I, I kind of thought, completely forget yeah, where no. I was going with that last. No, I get your point. I think it was just kind of the idea of like, just thinking about. I I know we lost track because we were supposed to talk about the match itself yeah. when it before it just became a history lesson on indie, you know, independent wrestling and Ring right. of Honor specifically. With uh, Tony, oh, we, it started with Tony Khan, yeah, him buying up all this talent, and you know there are points to be made. I acknowledge that Tony Khan is starting to kind of get in over his head now. The question does become these signings that he's doing, and I know, like, I'm curious what the contract terms are when Tony right. Khan does these signings, because I know sometimes he'll bring in talent and say, oh, if they sign, they're all elite now. What does that actually mean, though? That's my. That's always been my curiosity point with these signings. What does them signing and being all elite actually mean? Like, are they signing a per appearance deal? Are they signing a contract to for a certain amount of dates? Um, I think like some of the contract only have like year runs to cycle in. It's hard to really say exactly what the idea is in regards to you know certain talent that are coming into. AEW like what is their terms of being a part of the roster outside of like for example Ruby Soho hasn't been on TV in forever she's been mainly doing like the YouTube shows now whether that's something that she either wants to do or something where like it's just kind of you know part of her deal to kind of get those matches and bookings and stuff like that I don't know so I think the actual workings of certain contracts outside of like Danielson Punk Moxley MJF, Hangman, and others who are on TV on a semi-regular basis. I'm curious about those other signings, the Ruby Soho's, what Swerve's, con- what Shane Strickland, what his contract is, um, Danhausen, and all those other wrestlers that are coming in on a semi-regular basis. What it like? How do those contracts work 100% of the time? Because yeah. when you hear Tony hoarding up, con- you know, hoarding up superstars, hoarding up these wrestlers on these contracts. What does it exactly mean? Are they there so that way they can get, you know, consistent bookings and consistent pay and then they're good? Are they there to be a part of like the enhanced storylines going forward in terms of the main event and mid card scenes? Like that's the biggest question mark that I think those fans who are like, oh, Tony's hoarding all the talent up like action figures. I think the biggest concern is, okay, you make a good point, but the question that hasn't been answered is what what does being signed and being on elite 100 percent mean right right and i think that's the question that tony hasn't really answered yet and it could be possible that ring of honor you know having ring of honor active again could 
fix a lot of those things or, or could give a newer platform. Like, hey, you can have this new TV show. You know, Ring of Honor is its own thing, its own production, its own cast and crew, and their own wrestlers. So it's possible that you can get something good out of it um, with the talent, all the talent that you have, as long as you're kind of setting it up the right way. But that is the biggest question mark I have is, you know, when you got Ring of Honor, what happened next? Right, because unlike WWE, you know, since WWE's publicly traded, they have to put all that information out that, like, you know, this person is signed for this, uh, you know, for this how many years, for this much, where, you know, they're still yeah. privately owned. They don't have to tell us all that. Right. So, I mean, yeah, so that, you know, I do, you know, that's a good point that you that you did um, that you did pull up. I'm like I said, I just get, I just do get worried that he'll get over his head, and then not to mention he'll be, he'll be signing all these people. Then when it's time to start renewing contracts, it's like exactly. all right, these people are becoming stars, the, right. so they, they're gonna request more money, which you know, billion dollar daddy, he can pay, he can just easily pay all that. Right. So and also just the fact of like. Him being the head, you know, him being the head booker in Ring of Honor too, like, bro, like you have other, you have you have a lot of minds on your coaching roster. You have a Jerry Lynn, you have a BJ Whitmer, you have Dean Malenko, you have William Regal now. Let that, you know, do your do your thing with Dynamite and do your thing with Rampage, which has been working to an extent really well outside of maybe a few things, specifically the women's division and Britt Baker being, you know. The Charlotte of the division. Wow. But, <laughs> but I'm not disagreeing. I just never heard of it that way. I made. I think I made this point on Twitter to somebody else. And somebody was like, "No, that doesn't make any sense." You know, you know, Bert's not out there burying you know, whatever. I was just like, "No." It, like, if you put them side by side, it kind of makes sense in a way. Not that like, it's not that Bert's using her influence to stay on top which has always been a question mark of mine with like Charlotte's dominance that she's had for so many years. Correct. And a lot of the question marks around her reign, her reigns, plural, mm-hmm. but it's been like this fascination with the, and I think I've talked about this with Patty, this fascination with the booking team, just giving her everything, like making her, <laughs> I don't know why this just popped up in my head, but do you know how people online complain about a certain period of time in the two thousands? called the reign of terror yeah the triple h that's what this almost is almost yeah. and it's almost a mix of both things the negative backlash that she's getting based off of like the charlotte bookings that have happened over the past few years mm-hmm. and just the fact that the reign of terror occurred where you just had this champion who's always dominantly winning who gets most you know a good part of the offense in who has her who has their backup you know do a lot of the work to get them to win it almost starts to feel like that, and it almost becomes like, okay, who's credible? Like, we're, we're, who's credible? There's really nobody there, who, like, in AEW. Who is credible at this point to beat Brit? To beat Brit of... I would, I would still say you still have... Thunder Rosa still, still, still does have that cachet left. I think yeah. they're still saving... Saving her win when Dynamite comes to San Antonio in two weeks, which is Thunder Rosa's hometown, which which I would say the the better the better uh, approach would have had Thunder Rosa coming to her hometown as a champion, you know. Yeah. But it's because so it's sort of like they're hustling backwards. 
Um, or just not have the match on at Revolution. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like you could have just not had the match at Revolution. You could have had. You could have moved up the Hirsch Statlander match to the main card with from the pre-show, which wasn't a bad match. You could have had that be like somewhere in the middle, just like okay, you got this little feud that's going on. Put it on the main card and then have. I debated this. I think. I think that on top of the bad booking, the placement of uh, the Baker Rosa match hurt it even more because it had, you had first the bad booking and the fact that you had that loss occur in the middle of it was sandwiched between the extreme high of Punk MJF, then you had the severe low of this championship match, especially when it got lower when Baker won, and then it went back to a high. Uh, for Danielson Moxley. And that's already a weird order. Like, why, why couldn't this match have been before Punk MJF? If you're going to have that extreme low, like, do the low so that way going into probably going into Mox Danielson, you could have had the high of Punk winning and then keep the momentum going with uh, Danielson Moxley right. instead of having it broken up. Or if you wanted to have a a cool-down match after how crazy Punk MJF was, switch places. Put um, Ty and Jade in that spot because it would have been a short match. It would have been like, okay, we know who's winning. And then surprise people with how you know pretty good it was, which it was a pretty good match for what it was, and then go into Moxley Danielson. It, it was really out of order based off of what they, are, what they were going to do anyway. Right. And then just with the fact that Baker won, kind of made it worse because the crowd was like I was what when I watched it live it felt like the crowd died during it that did. During the, the crowd died not just because yes you you can say the crowd died because they were just coming off of punk's big win but it, I felt like it got worse when it got to the end and it seemed like Baker was going to retain and then did retain the crowd was dead silent Dead silent. It was a, it was silent for a lot of the pay per view, honest and truth. Like even certain parts during like Punk and MJF. Like and they were doing their thing in the ring, but it was just like there. It was like I'm watching that Raw from Lafayette again. Dude, okay, maybe was. to that's just that's just an insult. That's an insult to Orlando, but it's like <laughs> um, it was it was kind of like that. They did die at some point, but it was in the mat. They were still yeah, they were still doing their thing. I'm like, oh, that's not off too. So yeah, I don't know. But overall, because I know we got to get to our main our our main course. Overall, yeah. Revolution was a good was a very enjoyable pay per view. It was a B B plus. Is what okay. I would give the show because That's fair. the the Kingston Jericho opener was hot. Yes, the tag team championship three way was crazy. Yeah. Um, the ladder match wasn't bad. I felt like the ladder match had some slower spots. It w- it wasn't a bad multi man ladder match, but it was just okay. Praise for um, Orange Cassidy, Jesus Christ! Oh, yeah. I never seen somebody fly that much. Yeah, and same for Ricky Starks at the end too. With the the power bomb on the ladder, I was just like, "Oh no, don't don't hurt him, don't hurt Ricky Starks." <laughs> yeah, um, actually, actually did get in. Then, then you had the Jade Cargo match. Mm-hmm. Then you had Punk MJF, the women's title. Um, Moss Danielson, which was awesome. Right. Uh, Punk MJF, of course, was match of the night for sure. Just just on storytelling alone. Right. Then you had the 
the trios match, which had no right to be as crazy as it did with Sammy Guevara and Sting. They they had no reason to oh, be that God, I get scared crazy. Sting. <laughs> yeah, Sting's gonna be sixty three in a couple of weeks, and he's still taking those daredevil high risk bumps. I think Darby Allen's rubbing off on him. I think so too, because I'm, I'm like. <laughs> And he, oh, yeah. the thing is, he was this cra- He was kind of this crazy in TNA as well. Like, if you look mm. at his TNA career for the 10 years he was with TNA Wrestling and Impact, he was the, kind of the same, like, just doing these off-the-wall things with, like, Kurt Angle, Abyss, AJ Styles, and all that other stuff. Like, he was doing some of the things, not to this extent, of course, or nothing like what he did at Revolution, but, you know, it was, it was still kind of in him, that second lease on life. And I think now that he's signed... With it, with AEW, and he's just able to kind of, kind of do whatever he wants because he's, because uh, he's Sting, and yeah. yeah, of course you let him almost let him do whatever you want with within reason, but he's just like I'm just gonna go all out, man. Like I'm just gonna get you know the years that I could have had if it wasn't for that injury by Seth Rollins, right? So, so I think that's what it is. Like yeah. I, I give him another year and then just let him be like a mentor to Darby Allen. Like if you want to keep that mentorship going, do it. But yeah, no, be, don't, don't break like six tables. I don't, you don't need to do that. He didn't, he didn't Stay. need to. Like it was cool. It was cool to see, but it's like, Oh my God. All right. Now you have like Jen's general, you know, you got fans genuinely considered for your health. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And then the main event was good. And it, it was, was with Adam Cole and hangman page. Like that was cool, but it almost feels this almost feels like a card where you should have had Punk MJF main event. Hmm. Yeah. Like I think, I think it would have been crazy to have Punk and MJF main event with the dog collar match, with the Wardlow um, turn, if you will, right. with mm-hmm. the cathartic win and everything else. Like I think that would have been more interesting to have it in the middle of the show. But that's just me. Yeah, I get like, Yeah, that's that's valid. I mean, although I do I do respect AEW for keeping with tradition of keeping the, the world title as your main event. You That's know. true. I, I give them that. Like they, they're at least showing deference to tradition and I respect that too. Yeah. But, but yeah, yeah, overall, yeah, I, I do agree. It's a, it's a definitely a B plus show. I'll, I'll give it a four out of five. Um, if Thunder Rosa won, I'd, I'd be inclined. Yeah, it would be the A. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but... Yeah, it would have been, a, absolutely would have been an A for me if Thunder Rosa had won. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, ready to get into the main event? Yep. Yeah, let's, let's, do, it. let's do it. All right. So, yes. Uh, yep, we are 50, 50 minutes uh, into the podcast, and we are ready to talk about The Batman, which is uh, which is the uh, film directed by Matt Reeves uh, and also co-written by him and co-written by... Uh, Peter Craig? By Peter Craig. The film stars... Robert Pattinson in the title role as Batman slash Bruce Wayne, Zoe Kravitz, um, Colin Farrell, uh, Jeffrey Wright, Paul Dano, um, and John Turturro, Peter Sarsgaard, Andy Serkis as well. Uh, the Batman, um, it is, uh, it's, it's a whole new continuity, so it's not part of the DC Extended Universe. Um, this, one, this one takes place uh, during uh, Batman, Bruce Wayne's second year as, as Batman. And, um, you know, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's content, he's, uh, it, he's contending with uh, a string of murders, which are being, uh, committed by the Riddler. Um, and he's trying to figure out why these murders are being committed. 
Um, and and yeah, it's a it's it's a film that's been long anticipated. Um, I've been I've been I've been looking forward to this for a long time ever since Robert Pattinson was announced. But but yeah, well, well we'll begin with our non-spoiler thoughts about about the film. So we'll begin with you, Ed, um, since you're our guest. Uh, what sure. Did you, what did you think of the Batman? So not going into anything a hundred percent spoiler territory. I think that it's interesting that you took a, and I think this is one of the prevailing comments online as well, the fact that you took a superhero movie and you turned it into a a film noir crime drama more than anything else, um, akin to, like, I know the two biggest comparisons that a lot of people have made were, like, Seven and Silence of the Lambs were some of the two biggest comparisons that a lot of people have used in terms of what the direction of the movie was that they're using for the Batman. So I mm-hmm. thought that was very, very interesting. And just the fact that the movie was very raw and dark throughout, even in daylight, it was still dark. Right. And I think that was a very interesting cinematic, uh, very interesting cinematic uh, choice for what they were, you know, the story that they were trying to tell with the movie. And I also feel not going into some of the initial investigations um, that they did was that it, even though it was a three hour movie, let's get that out of the way. It was a yeah. three hour movie. Like I was just like, Oh my God, how are you doing this in three hours? I was about 45 minutes in before it got to some of the actiony scenes, quote unquote, which we'll talk about. Um, and it felt like a lot of that pacing, that slow grind to going through, you know, to learn about what the Riddler's tactics were, the, the different tricks he was pulling off and just the, base level character establishment of uh, Gordon and Batman slash Bruce Wayne and Alfred and the Riddler and Selena Kyle as well. It was very, very deliberate how the pacing was very much a take your time approach. And I think that that was probably the most interesting thing about the movie more than anything else is, you know, okay, you're filling a three hour runtime. How are you going to do it? Oh, we're going to go like, a very, very deep dive into a lot of the investigative slash, uh, tr- you know, puzzle solving aspects of Batman's work. Cause I know that this movie was based off his more investigative skills right. more than anything else. Um, so I thought that was one of the more interesting cinematic takes that I took away from the movie before we get to some of the parts at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I really uh, appreciated the film's direction where it where more than any other Batman film it focused on the detective skills of Batman of Bruce Wayne because he's known as the world's greatest de- detective and we do see a bit of that um or well, much of that actually in the film um I, I really liked his partnership with uh Jim Gordon uh, uh throughout as they were trying to solve this mystery um, I, I like I like that um it has like a film noir neo noir element to it where down to the narration uh, that, yeah. we, that we hear from uh, Bruce Wayne. Um, I really, I absolutely love the cinematography in this film. Yeah. That it's absolutely, it's gorgeously shot by Greg Frazier, who also shot last year's Dune. Um, uh, I really liked how Gotham looked. It was like a city of decay. Um, so yeah. Like a lot of, lot of, lot of shadows. Lots of um, like brownish reds, like sepia uh, color. Like similar to the movie poster, I think. Yeah. yeah. Yep, and it also kind of reminded me of Batman Begins, how like certain parts of Gotham, like the Narrows, were shot. Um, uh, like there was like, it was like it's like everywhere you go is just seedy, and it, it felt it felt like it felt like a '70s uh, crime drama shot on location in New York at times in New York City, 
where 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 the city looked that grimy. Kind of like the Joker. Yep, kind of like the Joker. Uh, kind of similar yeah. to that. Um, I really liked the casting of uh, Robert Pattinson as Bruce Wayne because Robert Pattinson is such a ter- such a terrific actor, and yeah, I think we I think everyone needs to give him his flowers, like because of the great choices he's he's made over the over the last decade. Um, I like that his Batman, his Bruce Wayne in particular, is the most psychologically damaged uh, pr- uh, portrayal yeah. of Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Because because like we because we've always said that like you know Bruce like to to dress up as a bat you must have issues and you know you, you kind of see elements of that with uh, with Christian Bale um, you do see a bit of that with um with uh, Ben Affleck but this one it actually delves further into uh, Bruce Wayne's psyche where he's fully driven by trauma you know because he's he's just starting his uh, crime fighting crusade um, and even when he calls himself like I am vengeance like he's just driven by violence. And um, even even in the even in the first fight scene, for example, where he's like mercilessly beating that first dude who st- stood up to him, it's like, okay, okay, Bruce, yeah, I, th- I think he's I think he's out cold. I you think want, he's in a coma. You want what he's having? <laughs> <laughs> I am on TikTok way too much. Yeah, um, yeah uh, and and even and even too, like I like the the makeshift quality of his of his of his armor, where we had the, like the the leather the leather cowl and like kind of like the makeshift armor and like the regular combat boots right um i thought i thought that was a pretty nice touch um i i liked i i I really liked um the casting of selena kyle uh zoe kravitz um Mm -hmm. i really you really did you really did feel for her and you know like in, in her in her situation um uh let's see jeffrey wright a great commissioner uh jim gordon yeah, he was great. Um, it's Jeffrey Wright uh, and 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 uh, and Paul Dano. <sighs> Paul Dano was straight up terrifying. Like, like, and Paul Dano's Paul Dano's a great actor too. But I've never seen him like this, like this Keaton, this intense, like this yeah. frightening in any role. Yeah, give me some and, movies. That you got to recommend me some more Paul Dano movies. Oh, there will be blood. There will be blood. Is is fantastic. Um, yeah, like that, like his role. And and shoutouts and shoutouts to the makeup uh, department of of the film because Colin Farrell was unrecognizable. No, as, I as the could penguin. not believe that Colin that that was Colin Farrell at all. Mm. And the fact that I saw online he was at, he actually tested his prosthetics out in public, like mm. he went to like coffee shops and stuff like that with the prosthetics, and everyone's just like, who the hell is this guy? Mm. No, not even realizing that you know they were standing next to Colin Farrell. Yeah, yeah. I was like, that's impressive. Absolutely, like. Yeah, DC should win their second award for best makeup and hairstyling. Oh Jesus! <laughs> uh, well, yeah. it can't get nominated until next year, right? I yeah. think yeah, Oscar season year. is next year. Yep. Yeah, next year. Okay. Yeah. So, so yeah, like like he was great in it too, and yeah, man, like and 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 for a film that was three hours, it made the most of its length, and yeah, and I also and I also love the the music score by uh Michael Giacchino. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Um, uh, Michael Giacchino. Um, I really liked Batman's theme, where it's just those four dire notes, like doom, 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 doom. It's like yeah, yeah. It's like it's like vengeance is here, like death is here. Um, I, I I really enjoyed that. Uh, and yeah, like as as a mystery, as a noir thriller, as a crime drama, like it it hits all the right notes. And I think yeah. that this film is on par with with Christopher Nolan's trilogy. And I think with time, it may even be better. So. Yeah. Um, me, I enjoy. I enjoyed the film, and I know I, 
I am the Marvel guy. I rep the Red Brand. We, I've said it many times before, but I really did appreciate this movie. Um, I honestly, it made my top three Batman movies. No. Uh, Batman '89, but that's more for, as number one. But that's more for like sentimental reasons. Yeah. Um, the Dark Knight, because because of its, not only it was a great story to tell, but it was it also its cultural impact. And then this one, because of mainly, you know, story alone and presentation, we still have yet to see see the cultural impact that is made. Like right now, it's just kind of hot. Let's just see how it dies down. And if people years from now are saying, oh, Robert Pattinson is my Batman, which I think like um, the only re- the only way that Robert Pattinson's Batman would have worked if it was like year one, year two. Which I do have uh, right here. Uh, Batman's year one. Um, check. Here we go. <laughs> nice. uh, the year one story. And um, also the long Halloween. Which was a lot of the, um, a lot of the social source material. Two out of the three source materials. That and Ego that I didn't get a chance to pick up yet. But um, also I did li- like everything that you guys said. Like um, you actually for once. Instead of just beat him up, beat him up, beat him up, save, beat the bad guy, save the girl, mm-hmm. traditional, you know, uh, Batman. So we actually got to see, like, the detective side and stuff. He had his fair share of, um, of uh, you know, fight scenes and action scenes, but yet you got to see, we got to see that investigative side, and you did get sucked into the story where it's like, as as I'm watching, I'm trying to figure out you know, pieces of the puzzle. I'm trying to help him um, solve the crime itself. You know, even though we always we already knew it was the Riddler, but it was like, all right, why is he doing this and yada yada yada. Right. So I feel like that was um, that was very key. Like my flaws for it are very very minor. Mm-hmm. So like, if I was gonna rate it out of like, if I was gonna give it a rating out of ten, it would probably be like an eight out of ten. Okay. Interesting. Hmm. So I wanted to go back to before we move to the, some of the spoiler stuff. To go back to Vic's point, I think that's one of the things that, in hindsight, now thinking about it, just the fact that it was a story about you know trauma, like what trauma does yes. to you, and iso- what isolation does to you as well, with kind of like your world going upside down with you know what happened, you know of course with the parent origin story and everything else, and that's always going to be an understated point about Batman's origins, which I'm glad that they didn't have to hammer the needle on too much with this movie. They didn't have to retell a new story. They just kind of went right into it. And I think that's all, it is very much more interesting to have the movie be a Batman movie and not, and passively have a, 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 almost like a psychological evaluation of, of this Bruce Wayne, because this Bruce Wayne doesn't appear extremely often in the movie yeah but just the fact that you know the segments that he does appear he's looking for answers he's looking for relief from a lot of the things that he's experienced up to that point the trauma of seeing his parents die in front of him the isolation that he experienced once he you know basically kept into his to himself um with alfred that to go to use a point, I don't know if this is 100% accurate, but to go back to the movie that you discussed before with Zoe Zadana, that not quite, but almost agoraphobia, 
because you saw in early scenes where he didn't want to interact with some of like the stakeholders that were coming over to the mansion to discuss paperwork or discuss other things. Like he just had like a, like a reclusivity to just kind of stay with his work and to stay with at the back computers, doing the detective evaluations, right. doing all that, all that stuff. And I think that's kind of the more impressive part about it is because there is, in essence, there was no distinction between Bruce and Batman in this movie, like you would have seen with the Ben Affleck portrayal um, or seen with Christian Bale's portrayal, where you saw them as two distinct different people. It's not the case with uh, Pattinson's uh, portrayal. I think his portrayal is more of an idea that the Batman is all-consuming to him, where he doesn't know any, like in these early years, he doesn't know anything in life other than being this Batman and being that harbinger of vengeance. And so it brings about a change in his social life where you see him wearing like the dark glasses and going out wearing the shades and everything else out in public. So he doesn't really seem like himself um, day in and day out um, during parts of the movie. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, the, you know, other versions of Batman where he's just out like, you know, being this, you know, celebrity, being the son of Gotham and embracing all that. It was just like, he just did not want to, like we saw a more introverted Batman that we have never seen before. Yeah. So so that's one thing I did appreciate about this movie, where it's like it's giving us something that we even though yeah the Batman story is pretty common you know nowadays it's like but it's like we're still getting something that we've never never seen before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think there's a. Yeah, especially especially because he's still trying to figure out what, yeah what what Batman should be uh, yeah. to to Gotham at large, um, and, and even even when um, even a part where he even even figure out what Bruce what Bruce Wayne should be should be doing like well how he, how he should play the Bruce Wayne role um, because like even there was like one scene where the one, the mayoral candidate um, called him out it's like well what are you doing what are you you're not doing anything like with your resources or anything right yeah and he doesn't say anything uh, so like so he's still trying to figure it out um, yeah so I think I think at this point that we should we should definitely get into the spoilers uh, spoiler yeah. territory because there's a lot we can dive into so uh, for those for, so for those of you who uh who wants to see the Batman? It it is in theaters now. Um, yeah. uh, turn turn back turn back now if you don't want to hear spoilers. And then once you do see the film, come back uh, to this episode and uh, watch our spoiler filled thoughts. So, yeah, spoilers all over the shop in five, four, three, two, one. All right. I got a flaw. It's okay. very minor, so I just kind of want to get out of the way. Okay. All right. I didn't like Penguin Italian. Penguin Italian? Like, he's... Because he, Oswald Cobblepot, he, he was just never Italian. Right. No, he was from... I think he was from, like, a Middle... Like, a Middle... Like, Mediterranean country, if I remember Oswald's backstory. I don't remember what it was in... Because the first Oswald that I think of is the one from Gotham, the TV show. Right. But I don't remember where what his heritage was. I don't think it was ever really explained. Like his last name is Cobblepot, and I'm like, that's definitely not Italian. So, I mean, it was just kind of, and, and it just made me, it kind of lost me sometimes. But then I just really think like, then I kind of get drawn back into, damn, that's really Colin Farrell in there. Like last time I see him was what, Phone Booth and 
Ben Affleck's Daredevil. So it's almost twenty years ago. I know, right? <laughs> so it's yeah. like, and then and then you pop into my head all the time. I'm like, yo, who plays the worst Italian? Him or Jared Leto? <laughs> oh, Jared Leto, leaps and bounds. You you can't compare the two. There was but... another one I asked of. I wanted to ask you about. Oh, him or Jared Leto or Vigo Morris? <laughs> Vigo. Still Jared Leto. Jared, yeah, like when it comes to like a, a bad a bad Italian caricature, like Jared Leto from House of Gucci cannot be topped. <laughs> like that's 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 where for Jared Leto he believes that the that the accent and the makeup does the acting is the character, whereas with uh, Colin Farrell in the Batman, it's like all of that just accentuates the personality. Yeah, yeah. and then maybe and then also maybe it's because I was, I'm still too. You know how we always say Keaton's our Batman, Bale's our Batman. Mm. Danny DeVito's still my Joker. Not my Joker, my Penguin. Excuse my me. Penguin. So, like, he was like, yeah, that's another debate that happens to who's your Joker. But, like, it's because, like, we got, that was, like, my first taste of actually seeing, like, a dark jo- uh, Penguin. Other than that, all I saw was the animated series and um, the 60s version. Yeah. And of course, yeah. you know, that was campy. The other one was a cartoon, but this was something was just dark that just true that's driven me. Now maybe if there is a planned sequel, then like we'll probably get that because we saw like towards the end of this movie when um Carmine Falcone gets killed and stuff, he's like, Alright, I'm about to stop running shit now, you know. Right, exactly. Because when you have like when you take out Falcone, he be like that that empty like that empty power is there uh available yeah and i know that's one of the bigger focuses with like the batman movies is who's gonna like take over the power struggle um in regards to um you know the gotham when you have people that aren't a bit there anymore um that's gonna be one of the biggest things i think like how are you gonna deal with the the, the, the power vacuum right. with falcone now being gone like who becomes the biggest person to step up that doesn't become the penguin does it become somebody else um that i'm curious to see how they you know plan that out for a potential sequel yeah and can we give john Totoro his flowers because that man's got range he certainly does yeah he's been he's been around for a long time like over over 30 years yeah it's funny on my overnight i was watching mr d's and i'm like ah he's sneaky (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but um yeah i he embraced the carmine falcon role too it was like that you know mob boss you know that really just like that cool common collective mob boss mm-hmm. who still would he's like who still wouldn't take no shit yeah yeah very much yeah absolutely and and, and, I, and I will say i will say too with um go, just going back for a moment with uh with with the penguin in this film i like the fact that like he was, it was this was kind of like his origin story too where he's just he starts off as like a mid-level mid, mid-level mob um not not quite yeah. a boss but like kind of like an underboss in a way he's just running yeah exactly like a yeah, he was very much boat. an underboss yeah and then and then you're like and then because i know this is this is like the first part of a trilogy so it's, it's gonna be interesting seeing like his rise to power and where he's gonna end up in the third film perhaps um so that's i think that's gonna be pretty interesting um also, also with uh, with with looking at with looking at Bruce Wayne's uh, character, I, I like I liked how in, in this film, like it add, it added a uh, it added a layer of a moral ambiguity to to Batman's origin story, specifically with his parents. 
um, because yeah. like one of the, the one of the big mysteries that's 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 uncovered is that um, his father Thomas Wayne actually made a deal with Carmine Falcone because uh, because there were because um, there was there was a journalist who was who was on the story uh, like exposing his his wife Martha Wayne for like you know being institutionalized and in different mental health facilities and all this right and so he wanted to he wanted to squash the story so so he so in a moment of weakness he went to Carmine and tried to get the journalist killed for for, for better for, for better or worse. And, right, or get the journalists silenced for the most part, right, for better yeah. or for worse. And Carmine, of course, his first instant is just like gone. Yeah, and and then when then when Thomas Wayne uh, found out, he tried to he tried to have him arrested, and that's how he got killed, and and and, and his wife too. So I, I thought that was very inter- interesting because we've never had that, at least in the films, we've never had that moral ambiguity before around Batman's uh, his parents. Or, or origin story or origin story yeah. his parents because we thought that they were just like upstanding rich socialites that you know nurtured Gotham but here you know you had that element where Thomas Wayne even even he wasn't incorruptible and so I think right. that's he part was of, a, yeah that's part yeah of he the, wasn't incorruptible and then to also kind of give more of a spotlight on Martha as like not necessarily an innocent party but as a or not a guilty party per se but as a like not who she seemed to be because at no point did you ever think of Martha Wayne as anything other than just kind of like, you know, an upstanding socialite in Gotham married to Thomas Wayne. The fact that they dove a lot into her specific backstory and her family, I think she's, I, tell me if I'm wrong, but does she come from a family whose last name is Arkham? Am I, did I understand that part correctly when they were doing that projector scene? No, or were there just two was, families, the, the Waynes and the Arkhams? Yeah, okay. they were. Yeah, the Waynes and the Arkhams were the two founding families of Gotham. So was, okay, they were okay. from two different, yeah, two different families. So they didn't necessarily gotcha. say where she came from. They didn't go at least that far back when it came to Martha. It's just like Martha was already like married to thomas wayne and then she okay. started uh go, being into institutionalized and stuff so they, right yeah just the fact that they gave that kind of wrinkle in her character a, a character that never really got fleshed out in any adaptation of, right. of batman especially with the dark knight and even with gotham the tv series outside of just going you know doing the story beats and that being more of a spotlight on um Gordon more than anything else but I thought that was very very interesting like to kind of throw a little wrinkle into Martha Wayne's story because she was an unexplored character in previous adaptations yeah Yeah. one of the things I also did like was how the Riddler was using social media and he had that he had that crazed following constantly like giving yeah he had like a cult like following just say oh use this for your bombs or use this for your use these type of rifles and stuff it's like a whole following of members of the trench coat mafia and stuff like it was it was just like wow you know this dude i mean the riddler really had that type of power yeah and some of them were actually followers when you see i know i'm jumping all the way to the end but yet they're you know using they were you know sniping people in uh gotham square garden i got a little yeah. i got a little <laughs> laugh out of that yeah. i caught that too that was that was actually pretty funny yeah, yeah. 
But um, yeah, I, it just showed like how much power and influence he had, and then it made me think of the con of the um, tip going back to wrestling, the Jake the Snake quote: "If a man had that much power, he could speak softly, and everybody, everyone will listen." Mm-hmm. Like it that show it showed his power. Yeah, Riddler was using Instagram Live. Shout out to Nick Quattrini for saying that. Yeah, but yeah, that was the whole thing. Just seeing, like, just seeing the power of social media, and to also to tie into the point about Martha being unexplored, the fact that we are kind of fast forwarding to a time. Tell me if I'm wrong, but has there really been an adaptation of any of the Batman movies, or you know, any Batman, where social media became one of the biggest influences in Gotham? Never mind a weapon. Like, it just seemed like Gotham was always stuck in this, like, retro time frame. Not completely retro. Like, you could say mid-90s, early 2000s to an yeah. extent. Outside of, obviously, Batman had the technological skills to be a badass in his own right and his own resources. But, yeah, this is the first time where we've really seen, like, what social media influence can do, especially when it's put into the wrong hands and in the wrong city. Right. Because we, it's never been used in... And this type of Gotham adaptation. It hasn't been used in any way, shape, or form to my knowledge of um of like as far as like superhero movies. I know Screwball in the Spider Man game, she was complete she her character was completely reinvented and relied so much on social media. Kind of like the Riddler, except that he was just more diabolical. With I mean, she was just he was just a more diabolical character, with some mental issues and a and a disturbed motivation, if you could say, if you would say. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah, definitely a disturbed motive of superiority, a disturbed motive of just kind of like seeing almost the entire seeing his entire world as just small pawns that he can control. Right. very easily that's that was the riddler's motivation was just how much influence can i do without being like that you know a street thug or being the bat or being a mob boss or anything like that just a regular dude who had the smarts and who loved to do puzzles and just kind of warped himself in this you know this inferiority complex partially due to his time the, again going to tie it back the trauma that he experienced when he was in that gotham orphanage that Thomas Wayne opened and that being a big focal point in terms of his revenge plot and all the people that he wanted to kill um, because of the, you know, what he saw was the higher ups in Gotham, the, the government in Gotham and the mob bosses and everything else. He just felt that, you know, what have they ever done for me? So I'm going to do something to them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and even, and, and even the part where, where you where you see the full extent of Riddler's terror was where he was Peter Sarsgaard that uh, that assistant DA who had that yeah. collar bomb around his oh, neck. That oh, that yeah, the collar bomb. Yeah, yeah. Where where he had to solve three riddles and Batman was there helping him, and um and it was it was it was, that, that, it was funny because that scene was so tense because like I was trying to figure out the answers myself. But, oh, yeah. me too. And and I, I, I'd be like, yeah. If it was me, like trying to figure out the first one, I'm like, sorry, man, you're on your own, man. I can't figure this out. But, but like, but 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 Riddler was so terrifying that when they got to the third riddle, the the, the Peter Sarsgaard's character said that he would have rather died 
then then give then then solve the riddle and give up and give up who was pulling the strings and right and then, give up who was yeah yeah and then you saw him just like blow up and you saw the bomb go off yeah, yeah that was that was one of the more tenser scenes in the movie because you know with the other deaths that occurred at the riddler's hands they were very passive to say the least right for the most part where they were either off screen or you kind of saw it still but um but just the fact that like especially with that scene he was looking for he was looking for his own vengeance and Gotham just was so corrupt that the DA to didn't would rather have died than to bring to light the corruption just kind of spoke volumes as to Gotham City as a whole. Yeah, because he was such a huge part of it. Remember, like if he was he was inside basically like anybody who was anybody was inside that sub club. Yeah. Yeah, that inner circle. Yeah, yeah. It was a it was like a like I I'm not even gonna say dirty. It was like the filthy mm-hmm. inner circle. Whereas like it was like Fight Club. Yeah. Nobody yeah. talked about first rule of Fight Club. You don't talk about Fight Club because even then, when um, Selena Kyle was um in there trying to get answers, and then she was trying to get answers from that woman who I forgot who it was. Um, it was like her friend, her roommate. Well, she was trying to get answers about her roommate, but then there was a lady that was in the club. She went to go grab drinks, and he, she's trying to get answers. She's like, no, I'm not saying nothing. Mm. Yeah. 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 That's I remember just, that scene. That just showed, like, how powerful mm-hmm. that, you know, that mob scene, what, like, how powerful that mob scene was. And how powerful that whole entire case was, the yeah. Maroney case. Yeah. Like how, like, how deep the rabbit hole went that to save Gotham's neck, they just would, they would rather not and just save themselves in a way and just keep, keep everything on the low. Yep. Yeah. It was that crazy. Oh yeah. And, and even, even in like the first major scene where you saw the, the first victim, you know, like the, the, the mayoral candidate. Um, yeah. And then you see like the Riddler in the shadows and, and oh, that was so yeah. terrifying. Yeah. That like, was terrifying. Yeah, and then like he when he bring, breaks out the duct tape, I was like, "Whoa, this is, this is this is on a whole." You didn't see his shadow; you just saw his eyes. Yeah, and you know that's what? all it was—it's just his eyes. I'm like, "Whoa, whoa!" And, and not even his eyes, the goggles. Yeah, yeah the, the goggles. goggles with the reflection. Yeah, and and part of me was thinking, "Is this Court of Owls?" Like that's what that's what it made me think of. Possibly, I was thinking. Well, I was thinking that part was possibly to, because um, I haven't, I didn't get a chance to read the ego. Ego. I was trying to pick it up, but the line was so long, and my movie was starting in like five minutes. So I was like, all right, I'm just gonna. I'm like, I may have to just skip this one. But um, yeah, it was possibly, possibly would have been a part of like the ego storyline because it did. Just from the cover, I'm like, okay, this looks like a very dark story. Where year one, you know, the year one was a bit. It was dark, but yeah, maybe because of the maybe because of the art style was a bit cheesy. But then if you do look at the art style, you can see like that grainy, that type of grainy style that they had in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then this is Selena Carr right here. So you know, Zoe Kravitz was completely you know perfect for that you know perfect for that role, and the whole twist at the end too where. She turns out to be Carmine Falcone's daughter. Yeah. Yeah, uh, exactly. 
Yeah, that that was wild. I was like, that was very well done. I did not expect that at all. Yeah. Yeah, and Falcone knew the entire time. Like he yeah. was like, I didn't want to. I didn't want to do this. But he's just so set in his ways. Like, mm-hmm. this is my daughter, but I still gotta protect myself. Yeah. 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 For if if anything, she was just a at best a convenient pawn for him. But then when she outlived his her usefulness to him, he had no problems like shooting his own daughter. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So one of the things that I saw because um, I was looking at some of the comments, can I say two? So two scenes. Mm-hmm. really got to me and I thought they were kind of hilarious. one was hilarious and one was awesome the hilarious part which was mentioned by Nick in the comments section the wingsuit moment where he just crashed and burned trying to like <laughs> descent with the parachute yeah. I was just like oh dude like I thought he was gonna like get himself severely injured or die in that scene I was just like oh no because <laughs> I think yeah he was breaking out of the police station he does the wingsuit right. I was like okay this is badass I was like so how's he going to land safely? And he launches the parachute and immediately gets caught in the bridge and it just like yep. <laughs> gets like destroyed. I was like, Oh God. Hmm. And then the scene that really was awesome to me was, um, the highway chase. Yes. yes. The highway chase scene was like quintessential Batman. Hmm. I think like if there's one mo- mo- moment where you're like, okay, where's the, you know, what we normally see in the Batman that hot a, the highway chase scene, mm-hmm. and then B, the um, the scene where he takes the elevator and he has that hallway go into Falcone's office, and it's completely dark. Mm-hmm. And the yeah. only thing you see, the only way you can see anything that's happening in the scene, and so you know, kicking everybody's ass, was the gunfire. Yeah. yeah. And the gunfire was the only light in the hallway. Mm-hmm. Though, like those three scenes, one, you know, the funny part in a way, just because mm-hmm. it's just like you know. He got completely messed up trying to do the wingsuit. But then the badass scene with the highway chase and then the badass scene with the, the gunfire illuminating the actual brawling. Yeah, the gun yeah, the wingsuit actually him botching that botching that, I actually did like it because it reminds you that remember, this is still year one Batman. Oh, year two. Year yeah. two, technically. Year two Batman. Yeah, so he's like he's still learning. Another funny scene too, was just how Batman and Jim Gordon just left freaking Bang him right there. He's like, y'all know I'm still here, right? I'm still tied up. <laughs> I'm still tied up. Like, what's this? And they just left him. Yeah, and he's walking yeah. like a penguin. <laughs> yeah, he was too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that that was great. That was actually really hilarious. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, Nick Thomas says the underrated part to me and the way was the way he narrated it at the beginning, reminding me how year one was. If you would watch it, watch the animated. Hmm. Okay. I think they would have. T- but did they make a year one uh... animated film? Yeah, okay. yeah, I think so. Actually, it's probably yeah. not. I know the I know the year one series for DC Comics was like some of the more popular ones, kind of similar to like when they did New Fifty Two. Right. So having the year one was actually pretty awesome. But yeah, like I don't remember seeing the animated movies, even though I know they've made a ton of them and they've all been at least decent quality. Right. So knowing that there's a year one where it's, it's kind of similar in that aspect, where like. And the narration of just kind of like that, having that darkness be like your biggest weapon, the the aspect of mystery in the beginning where you just kind of like, okay, I see a dark alley. Like, is he there? Like, what do I do? Do I run? And do that I was do? cool. Even yeah, like in the beginning where it's just like, they just noticed that time. They saw the back. Everybody saw the back signal and they're like, fuck this. I'm out. 
And yeah. then they would just see like a shadow, just shadow. He wouldn't even be there. He wouldn't and, even be there. And it just struck fear into everybody. Yeah. 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 That that was that was a great touch because like you never knew where he could pop up. Right. So it was like I was like if you if you were thinking about you know breaking the law, it was like well, I, I don't think so. I don't want to end up beating, getting beaten into a coma, you know, yeah. like, like the other guy. Um, but yeah, and and also too, I I really I really enjoyed like the 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 use the clever use of his technology. Like like if you notice like in the first crime scene of the of the first victim, like he he's like he's like walking around slowly and deliberately. And then, yeah. and then he's just taking, he's just looking around. And then yeah. you find out in the next scene, he has contact lenses that are recording everything. Oh, right. the camera contacts. I was yeah. like, oh my God, that's clever. I've never yeah. seen that. Yeah. Yeah. Tony Stark didn't even come up with those. Yeah. Right. Well, he had, yeah, the, gla- but... he had the glasses, but but even then, like glasses, contacts, like this completely undetectable. Mm-hmm. And um, one thing I noticed that was very, very powerful was that. Remember when the mayor was uh, killed in the beginning of the movie, and he locks eyes with that kid, with his son, with the mayor's son, mm-hmm. and then right at the funeral they lock eyes again. It's like he really kind of figured. I think the kid kind of figured it out because it's like if somebody, the way they locked eyes too is just like they were reading each other. They had like that mo- that set, you know, that one moment is like that. I know what you're going through. Like, yeah, that I can young kid. Your pain. I feel like throughout the movie, through through the 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 the, the, perce- the funeral procession scene, right. the beginning of the movie with you know after the murder, and then at the end when uh, MSG, I'm going to call it MSG, yeah. uh, when MSG gets gets completely destroyed and it's underwater and everything else like that, where he's removing the scaffold and he's like extending his hand, like come with me so you, we can get you out of this building and save you. And it took the kid to be that first person to say, okay, I'm with you. And then that's when, like, the mayor, the mayor elect and other citizens then follow. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the kid was his tether to, to, like, I don't want to say reality, more humanity than anything else. Right. Yeah. So it it completely skewed the message. Because in the beginning of the movie, when he does his narration, a lot of his words were about vengeance and justice. And at the end of the movie, a lot of the words that he talks about are hope. And I don't want to say optimism, but like belief. So yeah. there's two different messages just based off of his progression mm-hmm. in this new role. And especially that kid, I think because of that, you know, that immediate relation to him and that idea that it is his humanity. Yeah. And, and that's an excellent point, too, because like because at the end, when you see when you see Batman, like helping to rescue those survivors in you know gotham madison square garden um like like you do see like if you notice like you do see like the, the skies are are a bit sunnier like there's like a new dawn and yeah. and like batman bruce Wayne realizes that he has to be more than just vengeance and just revenge and just bit bitterness like he has to become that symbol of hope in for in order for gotham to to even have a chance of surviving you know yeah because otherwise he'd be no better than the very the very darkness that he's fighting you know so so i I thought that i thought that was a cool touch and it also reminded me of where like between between batman and the kid in this film it reminded me of um um joseph Joseph gordon levitt 
and how he related to Bruce Wayne and how we deduced that Bruce Wayne was Batman because they both went through the same thing. Like, yeah, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, his character was an orphan and, you know, he had that same pain and he knew what it was like to put on a mask for people and um, like literally and figuratively. And then he sees and he sees Christian Bale's Batman. And they have that same rapport. So that kind of it kind of reminded me of that as well. I do have a question. Will we ever get a dark Robin? Hmm. A dark Robin, like I think we like like in, in the movies. Yeah. Hmm. Like I think I think eventually we might get there. Uh, like maybe like because I know like I'm, I'm thinking like Red Hood immediately comes to mind. Yeah, um, Red Hood, Nightwing. You could go if you wanted to go that route too. Because yeah. yeah. I mean, we did, but yeah, we did in the DCU, but he's already dead. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, like that, days ago, they hinted at it at the end of the Christian, um, the Christopher Nolan trilogy. Yeah, it was there with 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 you know Joseph Gordon going into yeah. the cave. Yeah. And then that's it. Yeah, that's true. I mean, we'll, we'll, we might get that. Maybe maybe we'll get pieces with like the Flash, uh, Flashpoint movie. Um, uh, that means yeah, Donald's coming back. <laughs> yeah, um, I wonder where Flashpoint fits into this whole thing too. Yeah. I don't think yeah. I, oh god with the with the flash and going into the neon <laughs> batman I don't think <laughs> let's hope nobody watching it has epilepsy. Yeah. <laughs> oh no. That's oh, true. Man. Oh, um also a really tense scene too like going back to the Riddler like I thought for certain like where where Riddler's captured and he's in I think he's he's in he's in containment. Yeah. He's he's detained. And where and when Riddler keeps talking, you notice how Batman is just looking away at him, and he's looking at the security camera. Because as Riddler's talking, I got you. You get the impression that oh my God, did, did Riddler deduce who Batman is? I yeah. thought the same exact thing too, and I thought I was wondering what you know what he you know he was gonna do, and that's why he kept looking at that camera. Like you know, am I gonna have to do something with the camera or anything? I I thought the exact same thing. Yeah, and then and then at the end when Riddler was like. Yeah, Bruce Wayne. We didn't catch him. Too bad. And then he knew. And then you—you you thought Riddler knew? Ah, uh, yeah, he knew. He—he oh. he knew, but he was like playing those mind games with them, and he was like getting it out. He was like, "I'm gonna he get you to admit it." Out so fast. He was just like, "Come on, Bruce Wayne, Bruce Wayne," and he was like getting under his skin, like he just walked into his head. Kicked his feet up, kicked his feet up, relaxed, and started living rent free, and it was driving Batman insane. Like he yes. was getting there. Yeah, oh, I, I don't, th- I don't think Riddler, I don't think Riddler actually knows that he's Bruce Wayne because, like, because at the end, because Riddler gets really pissed off when Batman, because, because Riddler's like, wait a minute, like. I thought I thought we were on the same side. I did all of this for you. Like I all these riddle, riddles, you helped me kill all these people. I thought we were on the same side. And then that's when Riddler, you know, goes to his like backup plan of like blowing up blowing up all of the blowing up the seawall. The seawall to flood Gotham. Oh god, an anarchist an anarchist Riddler. Yeah. Like yeah. on the level of Heath Ledger's Joker. Yeah. And yeah. And, and that and that whole and that whole sequence in, in in the garden was 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 pretty was very well done, especially where especially where um you know Batman he's taking all of that all of that gunfire and like he's being knocked for a loop momentarily, but then like you know, of course Selena Kyle helps him out as well, and I especially like that one part where like 
there's a there's an electrical cable was this, that's about to electrocute everyone in the water and then he used that his chest piece as like his like a proto batarang to like sever the cable. yeah to yeah. to sever the cable yeah. yeah I thought that was a nice also thing too. no one of the scenes that got me the most and I think I it felt out of left field to an extent so Batman takes the the shotgun the shotgun to the chest right yeah, yeah. so he's down. And eventually you see Gordon and you see Selena are able to help him out, right? Yeah. And then you see that boost that I was yeah. like, I don't know if it was a testosterone or something. And he just gets up and he's just like, he's about to kill this dude. Yeah. Like he might be, he might have been one punch away from death, depending yeah. on like how far he would have gotten. And I know some people theorize, is that a hint at like the venom from Bane? Like right. there's like an early prototype of it or some sort? I, mm. I don't see that to an extent. But it does tie back a little bit to the beginning of the movie where he just kind of incapacitates to do with like 16 punches to the face. Yeah. And it's almost similar <laughs> in that regard. But like it just went too far. And like that adrenaline, that feral instinct that he had when you, he just looked up, he's just like, what am I doing? Like when you see Selena and Gordon walk up to him like, bro, mm. what the hell are you doing? And he's just yeah. like, I, I have no idea where I'm at right now. Like he literally I, I, just blacked out. Yeah. yeah, he did. It was like it was like that Simpsons scene where that kid's crying like, "Stop, stop! He's already, stop, he's dead. already dead." <laughs> Nick Thomas said he thought it was an epipen. <laughs> well, dead. Oh, no. oh, what are they putting that epipen? For real, like, know, right? Epi- strike fear in me all, uh, as it is already. Yeah, for real, like epipen side effect hallucinations and beat somebody to death. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like for real, like like if I was a criminal and if I saw a Batman like inject that in him, I would run done. as fast as I could. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just I don't even need to worry about the shadows. I don't. I at no point I'll be scared of every shadow if it means I don't have to see that. Yeah, mm. yeah I'm getting saved right then and there. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Batman on adrenaline and caffeine. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh my god, yeah. Yeah. You talking to somebody who lives off of energy drinks. Right? Just one a day. <laughs> Just one a day. <laughs> Two if I got a game or a gig or something. Yeah. But uh but yeah, one more scene too. Um what did y'all think about the the Arkham conversation between Riddler and his uh next door cellmate? Um, played by Barry Kagan. Okay, you already. Um, I mean, I guess you cannot have Batman without the Joker. Mm. It's just, yeah, it, it's just a must. Um, all it is to me was just like, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna get the Joker. Hopefully, we're gonna get a traumatized Robin, mm. like because. We haven't had a redemption Robin since Chris O'Donnell. We have not had a Robin since Chris O'Donnell. No, we have not. That's true, yeah. Yeah, we have not at all. Mm. So that character needs some vindication. Yeah, I agree on on the big screen for sure. Yes. Um, But yeah, I would think that like with with Barry Kagan as a Joker, I think that's interesting casting. It is. um, I I would like to see the, 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 the next two films take the approach of like have joke have keep joker in the shadows but but have him have have him have a bit more of a presence in the second film and then the third film have him go all out right yeah i think that make him the make him the main villain yeah because remember like batman has and that's that's one of my gripes with batman films is like like i get it you can't have batman without the joker but it's like he has a library of villains 
Clay as a whole. He has a guy. huge interest. He has a huge his rose gallery is insane. Cast like he has a lot of people. And you stick. To, they stick to the same few characters. I I I agree with you there. That is true. Like you can like you can do a film like with like with like with this like with this Batman. I can see them doing something like with. For example, like Poison Ivy, like she could be like a like a hardcore environmentalist terrorist. Like that could be something that they could lean in, or even Hugo Strange. Like we haven't really seen Hugo Strange in any of the big. No, big yeah, films. he hasn't been around at all that mm-hmm. I know of. You're right. If they continue with Matt Reeves and Robert Pattinson, if they continue the same formula, mm-hmm. Calendar Man. Calendar. That would mm-hmm. be interesting. Calendar. I'd like to see that. Yeah. Actually. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I think I've seen some good stories with Calendar Man, like because he has a he's a compelling character. Right. So, and I think he would just fit so well in this dark universe that they're exploring right now. Yeah. I I think yeah I think he yeah because if you can take because if you can take the Riddler from a more humorous like from a humorous role for the most part yeah. to a more psychotic cult leader mm. with with the same aspects of the Riddler. Then yeah, you can do that with Calendar Man, right? And you can do that with that like, you know, his fascination with dates, his fascination with history, and his fascination with, you know, having everything tied to a specific timing. Mm-hmm. So like, just think, just thinking about that, especially so because, for me at least, the last adaptation that I know of with Calendar Man was in the Arkham games, right. where he was more just a side character that just did dialogue, and that was it. That was the extent of a, that was the extent of Calendar Man. So, to do that in this type of movie, where you can get that, a, like, a serial killer, like, I understand that Riddler's serial killing was more for a purpose because of the corruption of Gotham. Yeah. And trauma related to the the, the Gotham family, you know, hierarchy. Yeah. But to have Calendar Man, you can go a little more mysterious you can go a little more like you can still have that detective aspect with a villain like him absolutely that'd be fun like as a as a you know a villain he could be either the main villain or a second villain that's helping out whoever like it like i think depending on how far they want to go especially if they're going to go this really really gritty route similar to what they've already done with joker you can even possibly do like a victor's ass in this kind of universe, Proper. like doing putting Victor Zaz, <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah, putting Victor Zaz in this universe could be even crazier. I like Victor Zaz in Birds of Prey, but <laughs> but yeah, like a, like an act like a proper Victor Zaz, like the yeah. one we see in like in the Arkham games, for example, that right. could be really really nice. Or or even even I'm thinking like you could even do like a a, a version of uh, the Mad Hatter. In, yeah, in this because you could, yeah, because he was he was he, he had a prominent role in the animated series, and you could do yeah. something with him in, in the in the current films. Yeah, uh, Nick Thomas said he would like to see Mister Freeze. How would that be? Yeah, that that's an interesting. It could be it could be interesting, but Mr. I think Freeze in this universe is almost a little more CGI-ish. Not even CGI. It's when you have a movie universe that you're trying to make the most grounded. That kind of character, almost like, I don't want to say breaks reality, but in this universe, it might. Yeah, it could. It might break. Yeah, I, th- I think there's a way to like ground Mister Freeze. Like if you if you lean into some of the more if you make it more scientifically plausible, like enough like for, like for fiction, but like don't make him like 
course, like Arnold Schwarzenegger Freeze or even even the animated series version. But there's a way you can I, I believe there's a way you can make a Victor Freeze uh, in in this universe that's grounded enough, that's that's fantastical enough to not break the reality of this of this series, but also make it true to the character that we've seen before. I'd rather see that one in the in the uh, DCEU. Like DCEU is easy. Yeah, it's it's easier. Yeah. And and also too, like I do want to see more of Andy Serkis's Alfred. Cause... I, I was so mad. I was just like, don't tell me they're gonna kill Alfred. Don't do don't do that. <laughs> don't. You're you're a little loosey goosey with certain things, but don't do that to Alfred. Yeah. I, I'm a fan of Andy Serkis, and I thought he did well, but he just to me, he just something about it just wasn't quite there with me. It was oh, really. It was the it was the Luther. The Luther Jericho that just just didn't curl quite right with me. So it's like, to me, if I would have liked to see Michael Caine reprise his role in this universe, I think he would have worked as well. He would have worked for sure. Yeah, um, euthanize him a little bit. Um, uh, but uh, but I, I think I thought Andy Serkis was fine for like what for the limited time he fine. had. Yeah. Um, I thought that like. I think like with with this Andy Serkis, like there's definitely like a, a backstory to him. You can tell like he's probably has some war stories. Oh, as absolutely. Well. Um, it, it kind of reminded me a little of um, Jeremy Irons, uh, uh, Alfred, where 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 his his version was just more of like Batman's like you know second in terms of like you know like like combat support. I think yeah. Um, I think I I know I think you know what you would have put Jeremy Irons in this one. But yet, still the same plot, still the same story. Then that, I think that would have like, oh, yeah, would have been like the ultimate cherry, cherry on top. Because Jeremy Irons, he looked like he was in in the DCU. He looked like he was the same age as Ben Affleck. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe like two years older. So I'm just like, Maybe. no, like you're supposed to be like the older mentor to him. And I'm sure there is a decent age gap. It's just that Jeremy Irons still had that. He just didn't look as he looked shortly older than Bruce Wayne and it was like no that's not quite convincing where if you actually put Jeremy Irons in with Robert Pattinson then it's much more convincing I get I get you yeah because there's there's a bigger age gap there exactly yeah exactly and then it's like and then not to mention Stu I can't see past claw (laughs) (laughs) like I was like like part of me was thinking like hey hey this this Alfred Pennyworth has been to Wakanda in the <laughs> multiverse. <laughs> he has stories. Yeah. <laughs> he does. He's like, sir, let me tell you about this vibranium that I got in this other universe. Yeah. But what was cool to, what was cool about Andy Serkis is, uh, well, about Alfred was a simple fact. Like, he was, it showed, like, how close mm. he was to the Wayne family. Yeah. Like, they would just, mm-hmm. like, they always just indicate, like, yeah, he was close, he grew up with him, da da, da. But it's, like, close to the point where he was, like, Thomas's confidant, where he knew... Yeah, the right-hand man. Everything. Yeah, like, he even knew yep. about Thomas's dealings with with Carmine Falcone. Right, so it's, like, the way they explored that, and he had to be the only person, like, he was the only one who can really tell Bruce that story. Yeah. Yeah. And Bruce would have believed it. Yeah. yeah. Like, you heard the story from Falcone, and it's like, okay, yes, part of that is true, but you need to understand why. And mm-hmm. I, because I was the person who 
was the closest to Thomas. I can explain it to you better than Falcone would. Right. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. So yeah. O- overall, man, like the the Batman. Um, yeah. It, it's, yeah. It, it's 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 a it's an incredible film. Um, like I'm looking forward to the next two films in this uh, Matt Reeves Robert Pattinson trilogy. Um, yeah, and 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 and, I'll, and I and I give I I'll tip my hat to DC for you know like having like filmmaker driven right. uh, uh, films where they don't have to con- connect everything to like one shared universe like right. they, they let their, they let filmmakers do their things with their characters, um, which leads to more interesting directions. Um, so with, with this film, I like. I, I'd say it's one of it's one of hands on one of the best Batman films, no question. Best um, Batman films, yes. Um, I'll say like with yeah. time, it may be it may become better than the Dark Knight trilogy. I'll give it time, um, but but yeah, let's see let's see how the the rest of the trilogy unfolds with this one. So Robert Pattinson, you know, give him his flowers. He's a great actor, and I hope this leads to some like more weird and interesting stuff that from Robert Pattinson as well. I want, You've been doing that already. I want, I want to see more. <laughs> I want to see more. I want I want more Robert Pattinson weirdness. With A twenty four behind it, I want to see the Lighthouse Chapter two. I don't know how they're gonna do it, but I want to see the Lighthouse Chapter two. Get your pen. Start writing. (laughs) Just start writing. Start writing the script yourself. (laughs) Yeah, but yeah. um, Any any uh, uh, final words, gentlemen, about Uh, the Batman? I I thought it was a great movie. Like I said, my top three. It actually has made number three in my top Batman uh, movies. You know, behind. Batman in 89, like I said, for sentimental reasons, the first movie I've ever seen in a movie theater. Mm-hmm. And um, the, um, and the Dark Knight, because of its cultural impact right away. Yeah. So I don't think this is, this doesn't have a cultural impact right away, but yeah, it is. A, it still tells a very good story. So uh, Right. I, I agree. Top three all time, for sure. It's like right there with Dark Knight, just based off of the influence that a character like, especially with a Joker that we've never seen on the big screen or on the small screen, a Joker like that. So I think that having that kind of really committed character to the role, like Heath Ledger was so committed to it that it kind of drove the movie into a very, very different light and a very, very different, like, scary role that you weren't expecting. And that's what kind of made The Dark Knight that much more impactful when you think of DC movies. The first movie that people think of is The Dark Knight, usually. Right. So it's like, so, and of course, Batman 89 being one of the more, you know, great adaptations for that time period and for everything that, you know, the DC cinematics were setting up for. So to have this movie kind of go in a different direction, uh, you know, different than, you know, any movie in the past, different to even then to the comic books to an extent. Right. To... Give us a different version of Batman to give us a a completely 180 on Bruce Wayne, like to give us a Bruce Wayne that has never been explored, to my knowledge, uh, publicly that people talk about. I think that's a lot bigger than anything else in the movie because of this newer, unique Gotham, this newer, unique Riddler, and then this newer, unique Bruce Wayne. Just a lot of these elements kind of really puts this movie really, really high in that top three echelon. And then, of course, you know, we'll see what happens with the rest of the trilogy because then it has the chance to surpass it. But I think there's a lot more story to tell before we can put it up there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, yeah. 
um, that's that's it. That's our uh, review, our discussion of the Batman. Uh, uh, let us know what y'all think. Um, send us an email at codexprimepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, let us know your thoughts if you've seen the movie. Um, and again, for those who... Uh, uh, what's up? Nick, Nick Thomas has put no love for Batman forever. <laughs> well, I, 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 I will... That was a Jim Carrey movie. <laughs> I, I will I will say like for some for some people like their their top three Batman's might be Batman Forever, Batman and Robin, and Batman versus Superman. Um, those people are are maniacs and they're not to be trusted. And so. live in Houston. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to our dear friend of the show, John Haponic, for that one. Uh, but yeah, uh, once again, Ed, thank you so much uh, for joining Absolutely, us. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, talking hundred percent. Oh yeah, talking shop about Batman about wrestling. <laughs> Um, yeah. Doors are always open. You already know the door has been of open for you yeah, since the anytime. first time, and you don't even out a knock. Just you even got a knock. Just say, "Yo, I'm coming in." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I will be there. Yeah, and uh, and Ed, if you could uh, tell the good people where they could find your stuff. Absolutely. Uh, me personally, my personal social media is uh, on Instagram at your boy Ed Games. Um, of course, our Instagram is uh, Instagram.com/slash/GamerDelphia. Um, that's what a journey of posts are. Same with Twitch, twitch.tv slash Gamerdelphia for um, occasional streaming chats. And I I slightly teased it a bit with Darnell. Um, Carl, I think you'll like this. I don't see why we can't do um, Hype Fight Nights again. Get, and man, it's been a long time before. since we had those. Oh, man. I Shout out to Nautic. It's his birthday today, ain't it? What's that? Ain't it Nautic's birthday today? It might be, actually. It was either today or yesterday. Off. I think it is. But no, high finance has always been something that I missed doing a lot, but maybe down the road. But for now, streaming chats with me, uh, you'll see me react to the big events that are coming up on with anything gaming related. And of course, just any games that I'm playing at the time, you'll see me play those there. Um, and of course, GamerDelphiaCrew at gmail.com is our email address if you ever want to you know, request a game or have me want to talk about something that's going on in the gaming industry. Stay, stay to place tomorrow. Think yeah, happy. I saw it. It's a twenty. It's it's short. It's like fifteen minutes, uh, and it's mostly like I think Japanese publishers. So I don't know if there's any going to be anything super big that I know of um, that's going to be happening at that state of play. Oh, okay. Yeah, I came across it on Twitter. I came across it on Twitter. I'm like, oh damn, there's one tomorrow. All right. Yeah. Right. So. Um, but yeah, and uh, as always, you can find us uh, everywhere on social media. Uh, obviously, Facebook Live. Thank you for watching. Uh, Twitter at Codex Prime Cast, Instagram Codex Prime Podcast. Uh, our episodes on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, SoundCloud. Uh, bonus content on YouTube. Whew. And also, big shout out to our sponsor, Silk City Hot Sauce. Like I said, SilkCityHotSauce.com. Just use the promo code CODEX to get 15% off. And also, you can get our merch at Infamous Designs. Infamous Customs. As Infamous Customs. I'm tired. I came up an overnight last night. <laughs> <laughs> you don't kick my ass. Infamous Customs on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, that's 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 about it. Uh, we're we're just gonna let that hang. Yeah. Um, but yeah, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, once again, uh, thank y'all for watching. Thank y'all for listening. Thank y'all for uh, um, uh, chatting it up in the comments section. Um, uh, next, tune in next week. Uh, same bat time, same bat channel. Um, you see what we did there. Yeah. Um, uh, as always, uh, we will catch y'all on the flip. Peace out, nerds. Later. Peace.
see y'all everyone.